This is Jeff Moy, and you're listening to the Top 5 Comics Podcast. Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. This episode today, we have CBS, solo mission style. Everyone else is either out sick or involved in forms of debauchery that we can't talk about here. Uh, so today, uh, you're going to be solo missioning it with me. You'll be my co-pilot. Uh, today we're doing episode number 122. And uh, I'll be going over Meet the Scrolls number one from Marvel Comics. Stronghold number one from Aftershock Comics. Sharky number one from Image Comics. Ronan Island number one. Uh, this is from Boom Studios. And then The Terrifics, number 11, from uh, DC Comics. So we got a stack of independents, mostly number ones, and we get to the 11, which is a double number one. So, I mean, I guess it's still kind of number ones, right? Uh, let's see, since my normal news anchors aren't here today, uh, we'll have a whole lot of news. I mean, we have had some pretty major things happen in the TV-verse. Uh, I got an announcement this last week that, uh, Arrow will be ending its show run at season 8, uh, which will be a shorter season, which at this point there's a lot of speculation that that's going to basically spoil the whole crossover between the series. Uh, they were going to be doing Crisis on Infinite Earths, which if you've ever read that series or are aware of what happens in it, generally leads to a major character death. So with that in mind, uh, it seems to be the Arrowverse will be the ones uh, filling that death, which is unfortunate. And it's hard to say if there's other things behind that or not. I mean, Steve does have a, a daughter who's getting to be age-wise old enough that he... I can understand if he's want to take time to hang out with her or whatever. I mean, for her childhood adolescence. Uh, it's hard to say if it's just a money thing, if it's just a viewership thing, or if it's a personal set of choices. But uh, at this point, it feels like it's quite possible to unravel the entire CW superverse. Which is sad. Uh... Even if you're not a complete, totally fan of every single season, I feel like uh, that group has done a pretty good job with the Arrows with the Arrow show. It made me sad to hear about it, which is a you know a thing. Anyhow, uh, so there's that. That was a little bit of news from uh, this this current week, and kind of a big thing depending on how into that uh, universe you are and how uh, invested you've been over the past eight years with that, or seven years, I guess. Uh, we've had a few other announcements. Uh, Umbrella Academy finally dropped. Uh, most reviews in for that have been pretty good, and it sounds like they're talking about a second season already, so that's really cool. Uh, if you have Netflix and have not watched Umbrella Academy, you really should, because it's great. Um, we're currently halfway through, I think, the first season of Doom Patrol on the CW, or not CW, on the DC streaming. And it's, uh, it's been pretty good. I mean, it is a little more extreme than what most of this is expected at the very beginning, but I uh, like Titans, how it kind of pushed the line. Well, Doom Patrol runs right over that line, so it's, I think it's been awesome, but it has met mixed reviews from people. Uh, most of those reviews, however, have been good. So, so there's that. Uh, as far as other news and comics, Doomsday Clock is now at issue number nine, which we still have another three issues before it will end at issue twelve. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily news, but it has been coming out fairly slow. So that's uh, been kind of questionable. 
Uh, we did see this last week, uh, a commercial for a Japanese car, a Japanese car commercial that had, uh, Matt Bomber, uh, the actor, playing the role of Superman, which is an interesting tease. And it was kind of cool. I, I don't know if it's supposed to be like, if it was like an addition for something or if it was a, just a happenstance, but, uh, in my head I'm like, wow, that's kind of crazy, because it'll be alright. I mean, I don't feel bad about it. So if you haven't seen that, I guess Google it. That'd be, uh, Matt currently is, is, uh, one of the actors on the Doom Patrol. That's how those things segue to each other. Uh, I feel like there's another pile of stuff to talk about news-wise, but, yeah, I'm not necessarily a news guy, so there's that. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Alright, guys, other news, uh, Captain Marvel dropped, uh, movie-wise, and, uh, I know I I mix mixed feelings about it. Uh, as far as thing, I think uh, we'll try to do a uh, episode. Maybe the next episode will be a Captain Marvel review. That way, it gives people time to watch it and a couple other lads chance to get in on it. So we can do a uh, a more than just one person's opinion of the movie. To watch that in our next uh, our next episode. I guess that's it for news. Uh, so I'll move on to books, right? Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. Alright, so our first issue today is going to be the uh, Meet the Scrolls number one. This is uh, Robbie Thomas and uh, Nico Hin- Hinrach. Hin- Hinrachon? I don't know how to say it. It's uh, H-E-N-R-I-C-H-O-N. Not that me spelling it helps you, probably. But hey, there you go. As far as the book, like I, I liked it. I think it's cool. I think he's gonna wind up having one of those vision things go on for it. When the Vision miniseries came out, like no one paid attention to it till issue five, and all of a sudden the reviews on the internet made people chase out for the book. But of course by then, like all the early issues were gone. So I have a feeling this is gonna do the same thing. It's kind of a, it's an interesting slice of life, and especially with all the, if you're not aware, which I don't know how you wouldn't be considering the trailers basically tell you that. We have scrolls in the new Captain Marvel movie, so that alone might bring more people to the book just because wanting to learn about the scrolls. Um, not that the two things are the same, but uh, you know. Anyhow, the the opening page of this is basically a definition of the word for scroll, uh, which is pretty. I thought was pretty funny. Uh, art's great. Like I've, I I I enjoy it. It's not as technical as other stuff I like, but I, I dig it. Uh, we open up and basically we're following this entity that we don't have a name for yet. And as he walks through the world with his crazy goggles on, he basically sings to himself. Uh, we wind up seeing him by a train, he's in a diner, he walking a sidewalk, and then he walks up and into a park. From there he starts following this family in the park. They have, they have a little, like a toddler and a mom and dad type. And, uh, Eventually, he walks up on them, and we see his hands with these crazy electronic gloves, and he basically fries the entire family, which is pretty freaking crazy. Um, the last thing the child says before also being fr- fried is, how'd you find us? Almost like they expected it, which is freaking crazy. And then we cut to there from there to... What they tell us is yesterday, and we're on a school field trip at a butterfly museum with all these little, like, high school girls, and, of course, there's two being mean to one of the other ones, because that's how high school girls are. 
Not all of them are petty. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you are a high school girl listening to this, it's not a, a statement against you. But we have the two mean girls, which, I mean, yeah. And then uh, our main character girl. And as we pick on her a little bit, you know, make fun of her, eyeliner, and one of them accuses her of constantly watching her and following her, which she, of course, denies. And uh, the two of them are like, oh, you made a friend, and it's a little caterpillar, right? Or, like, uh, yeah, before it changes into a butterfly. And one of them grabs it from her and then crushes it. Like, what you think at a uh, butterfly, like, uh, it's not that on a museum. It's one of those botanical garden type situation. you think it would be majorly not okay, and if anybody else saw it, they'd freak the hell out. Uh, the teacher does catch them all goofing off and yells at them, of course, and at that point, we see that our girl has kind of disappeared. And in place, we see a butterfly. Which, knowing the title of the book, of course, leads to what we have going on. Uh, the girl that we're following, the, the main blonde character, her name is Allison. Or Alice, excuse me, Alice. And uh, the teacher asks the other two girls where Alice is. And they're like, oh, she was just right here. I don't know. Well, then we as audience follow the butterfly, um, which leaves the exhibit, and then flies home. And at the front door, in walks Alice. And uh, in the process of that, we wind up seeing a uh, shot of the family, like a photo. We have mom, dad, and three kids. Then we join the rest of the family at the dinner table. And uh, Alice is told that she doesn't have to keep up her appearance and that she should change. And tells her not at the dinner table. And we wind up seeing she begrudgingly is like, fine. And then all of a sudden we see her transform into a scroll. And we get to see the rest of the family, and they are also scrolls. Then they all have dinner and go over what is, like, basically a debriefing. So, like, all of them saying what they did for the day and what missions they accomplished. And so we basically find out, to cut it short a little bit, we got to find out that Dad works for Stark Industries, which is kind of crazy. And then Mom is working for, like, a sitting senator who's in the process of trying to get herself onto the Supreme Court. And uh, Mom has been doing things subterfugically to get other candidates to renounce their, like, um, what do you call when you're running for an office? Yeah, to quit running because of blackmail, basically. So she's perfect at it. Of course, she's not the one trying to get into office. She's trying to get her boss into office, which is a little weird because previously when we see scrolls replace people, you usually replace the person in power. But these all seem to be more embedded next to people in power. And we find out the older sister, who's the other the other young scroll, her job has been to infiltrate a slumber party. Um, <laughs> which sounds like silly at first, but it turns out that the girl who's throwing the slumber party, her father has a uh, safe in his office that has a batch of codes that she's supposed to get. So uh, it's not necessarily as uh, silly as it sounds, because the real reason she's there is to get all the other girls drunk, and then go break into the dad's safe. And uh, our youngest girl, Alice, she has a very similar task, except uh, the girl she's supposed to be friend is the same one that was being mean to her at school. And she's supposed to get information from her, too. So it's like a whole thing that I got going on, which if you read Secret Invasion, like that kind of came out of nowhere and was awesome, and, but the whole purpose was to replace people in power and take over. And this seems to be to get next to people and stop their certain things, well, as we go through the book, we find out that the main reason why they're doing everything they're doing is because there's a piece of technology being created that's supposed to unhide scrolls. 
So uh, either keep them from using their power or reveal them as what they truly are, rather than let them hide in society. And they are trying to stop that piece of technology from getting built and getting funded. That's the whole reason they're all doing what they're doing. So as it turns out, all these pieces have to fall in place. And uh, mom and dad are not particularly happy, well, mostly dad, not particularly happy with Alice. The interesting dynamic for the whole family is that they have all lived either on a scroll world or on a scroll hive ship, except for Alice. Alice was the youngest of the group, and she uh, was raised on Earth, so she never lived on a scroll ship or home world. And mom and dad's marriage is was an arranged marriage because they were deemed suitable for each other to create, you know, scroll infiltrators. So even that's like a weird dynamic. Uh, but we find out that uh, Alice has been caught transforming, even though she's not supposed to, and uh, the hierarchy above the family, the scroll that would be, I guess, considered their boss, gets a hold of Dad and has a meeting with him, informs Dad about the family got burned. Um, also, scrolls, the ones in the park, turn out to be scrolls as well, and informs him that if his daughter continues to make mistakes, that uh, she might have to be dealt with. And we get this cool kind of scene where we see Dad looking at a picture that had all five of them, and at this point, they're definitely only four. So it makes me think that the uh, the middle daughter, something's happened to her. What exactly? Don't know. But she's not currently in the picture. Uh, of course, to wrap things up, we get to the end, and uh, our same singer from the park, the guy with the electric hands, well, he is now at the botanical garden. And uh, he's asked by a security guard if he needs help because he's in an exhibit that's closed. And he tells him, oh, no, no, he's found what he's looking for. And that's kind of where we wrap. So whoever this is with the goggles and the shocky hands is definitely hunting scrolls. But, like, how he's connected to anybody, we don't know. Uh, is he Cree? Is he human? Is he, like, what he is? No idea. So at this point, he's definitely on the hunt. And uh, it would appear that he's on the hunt for this particular group of scrolls. Uh, as far as the score for book... I found it entertaining, and I thought it was interesting. I mean, we haven't really had, since Secret Invasion, we haven't had a whole lot to do with the scrolls. And, like, this particular story, it's like we're getting a picture on the other side of things. So, I dug it. I mean, like I said, the art is, the art's good. It's not technical like a lot of other books that I like, but that's just me. So, as far as, like, style, I thought it was cool. I, I dug the story, I dug the style. Um, as far as the series is concerned, I mean, it is a mini-series, so I guess we'll see how the rest of it goes. But yeah, the whole like family hiding in suburbia thing kind of has a similar feel to what The Vision was doing. And I wound up digging that. So yeah, I give it a four and a half. Like I thought it was really pretty good. Um, I would definitely recommend checking it out. Okay, uh, let's move on to our next book, which would be Stronghold. This is from Aftershock Comics. And this is written by Phil Hester. Uh, chances are you've probably read something by Phil without even realizing it. If you read Green Arrow Quiver, uh, he actually did the art for Green Arrow Quiver, and he also finished writing it for, for Smith, for Kevin Smith. Uh, he also finished writing Kevin Smith's Green Hornet as well. So if you're a Smith fan, chances are you've read Phil Hester's stuff without even realizing it. Um, he's fantastic. Uh, there were arguments by Ryan Kelly, 
And stronghold number one, we first kick off, we're basically on top of a bridge, and there's been some type of accident. We've got a car hanging over the edge of the, of the uh, bridge with a bunch of fire ambulance types trying to uh, fire firemen, ambulance workers, and police officers in the process of getting a lady out of the car. Well, it turns out that the backseat of the car also has a child, and of course the child is trapped. And while that's going on, we join our main character, who's a fellow we're going to find out eventually he's called Michael. And he's sitting on the bus, and he's basically reflecting on the day, and we have a whole lot of inner monologue about just things in general, and how disconnected he feels from the world. And he finally gets tired of being on the bus, and so he decides he's going to get off. And he gets off, and he starts basically walking the rest of the bridge to continue moving forward or go home. And the police get in the way, and they're like, oh, you got to get back on the... you got to stay out. It's, it's a dangerous situation. you got to stay out of the way. And about that time... The car topples over the edge with the girl in the back seat still, and Michael watches this happen and then just takes off running and dives off the bridge after the car. And everyone's like, oh my god, what's going on? What's that dude doing? And he dives into this, and it's not like a, a small drop to the water below. Like, it's a pretty defined drop. Like, it's big. And he dives in, gets to the bottom of the, bottom of the river, and put the door off the car, rescues the young girl, pulls her out, swims up to the water, and then gives her to a, uh, a fireman who's descended down a set of lines, and she, he pulls her back up the bridge. And he reaches out and takes Michael's hand, he's like, man, you're going to be a hero. That's amazing. I can't believe you didn't die jumping in that way. And at that point, Michael has this weird realization, and he doesn't take the man's hand, and he sinks himself back down into the water, and then we join him on the bottom of the river, next to the sunken car. And in his head, he's thinking, I haven't been breathing. And how am I not dead? And from there, he proceeds to walk the riverbed to eventually climb out along the bay, bay or climb out farther down along the river edge, mostly to not draw attention to himself. And the whole time, like, the police have sent guys down looking for him, and, like, the people on Watchers are like, well, what happened to that guy? We join him back at what appears to be his apartment as he walks up the stairs, and he's drenched wet, like, leaving water all the way. He gets inside his house, and he's got a, a letter that was delivered to him, which he opens it up and starts reading it. It's a happy birthday card from the bank. That's where we find out his name. And he's like, it's weird that the only people that remember remember my age are, is the bank. And he sits down watching TV for that evening, and... There's a whole lot of inner monologue that goes on, and as he's flipping through channels, he comes across a couple news stories talking about the man who died off the bridge, and he's happy to see that no one got a good shot of his face, that the onlooker videos, like the cell phone videos, don't have a good picture of him, that they didn't get a good image of him at all, and he's really happy about that. And then he continues to flip through channels as he slowly drips off and drifts off into sleep. And then we cut to our next main character, who uh, is this girl, blonde hair, Eventually, we find out her name is Claire, and she shows up at a uh, what looks to be like a UPS company, and uh, she gets in there, and one of the ladies is like, "Oh, it's really good to see you. It's been a whole, your whole year is over. Your whole year vacation. Are you, are you going to stay with the, Are you going to stay with the group? Like, are you are you leaving? Are you going to stay? Like, what what are you doing?" She's like, oh, "I haven't decided yet. I got to go talk to my dad and mom." And uh, she, when she first walks in, before she meets the girl at the elevator, she flashes this brand on her shoulder that gained her access to the back room, and she, the lady in the elevator tells her, oh, you got to be real careful when you do that. There's some normals here. You don't want them to see that. 
She's like, oh, okay, right, right. It's been a while, so I don't, you know, remember all the protocol. So about this time, as they go down the elevator, the doorway opens. The uh, lady in the elevator tells her, this is Stronghold. And then the door opens. And uh, on the other side, we have a lady with these crazy, like, they look like ice or water-spiked maces that are attached to where her hands should be. And these crazy, I don't know, like spike blades coming out of her shoulder, like her shoulder blades. And she takes to attacking Claire, smashing the hell out of everything. And about that time, we have Claire fall to the floor, and we see her hand turns to water also. And she spins around and uses it as a weapon to defend against these crazy mace attacks. And the whole time, the woman attacking her is like, Your defenses have gotten slow. Your technique's still good, but you're, you're out of practice, blah, 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 like yelling at her like, You're failing every time I attack you. About that time, she uh, manages to hit and break one of Claire's blades, and she falls to the ground, and then her hands turn back to normal, and she starts reading her the riot act about claiming her birthright, and if she gives up what she's been given, she'll never have any memories or see any friends ever again, blah, 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 blah. And about that time, Claire tells her, well, you do realize that I don't always do things your way, and we see that Claire's hands have been merged into the floor, these vines come up and around the other woman and tangle her up and trap her down to the ground. And basically, Claire overpowers her and pins her to the floor. And about that time, the doorway behind her opens up and in steps a, a man dressed, uh, I don't know, very, uh, almost like priest-like. And he's like, he says, Claire. And uh, she turns around and we find out this is Claire's dad. And it turns out that possibly the lady she was fighting is also her mother. And uh, dad's like, oh... Yeah, I see your mother decided to welcome you back with the attack method. And, uh, that turns into, like, a weird kind of, like, family argument with... Dad's got this... He's got a pitcher of water with him. And it turns out this particular water is the water that will allow Claire to keep her powers and her memories. So apparently the way the whole system works is that once you get to a certain age, you are sent out into the world for a year to decide whether you want to be part of the stronghold or not. And if you decide not to be, well... After your year time, if you don't drink the mystical water, you'll lose all your memories and basically just be dropped in the world of normal humans to, I don't know, figure it out, I guess. And uh, her father really doesn't want her to lose her memories, and her mother wants her to drink the water and be a soldier for Stronghold, because that's what mom is. And uh, she tells both of them that she's not sure if she wants to take it for their same reasons or not. And the father tells her, well, this is your last day. You have to drink it today. If you don't drink it today, you lose everything will be gone. And so Claire begrudgingly drinks the water. From there, of course, Mom's happy. Oh, well, you'll get your assignment tomorrow morning. You can go talk to your dad for a little bit if you want. <laughs> Which is kind of bizarre and very detached. Uh, but the character herself is very, like, I don't know. She's, the, she's pretty hardcore, the m mother is. And, uh... Like, her her name's even Hold Mother, is what her name is. Anyhow, so Claire and her father go into what's like an apartment, kind of. Still inside the base, which is a giant underground facility that has all these crazy, like, computers and technology stuff going on. And it's pretty, like, almost the, like the Batcave, except with a whole bunch of living apartments in it. For multiple people other than just Batman, you know? Anyhow, so as Claire's talking to her father, we, we cut to another room where we have Stronghold Mother, so Claire's mom, watching the two of them on a computer screen, like, almost creepy, like, 
voyeuristic. From there, we cut to the next day, and we join Michael. He's in an office talking to a shrink. Well, the shrink's asking him a bunch of questions and how you feel about certain things and how was your day yesterday. When we finally pull back and see who the shrink is, it turns out the shrink is actually Stronghold Mother. And all the questions she was asking him were like pertaining to trying to get him to reveal what he did the day before, which is kind of weird, and Michael gets weirded out by it a little bit and leaves. From there, we cut to him at work. And he's just another dude in, in a, with a bunch of other people in cubicles. And while he's sort of their, he's their boss, it's like they're all in one cubicle level. It's, so it's kind of, I don't know, like the office style, except he doesn't have his own office. And here's Claire, and she delivers a package to him. And she works for what they call NatX, or Net Natex. It's N-A-T-E-X. So like FedEx, except in the way it's colored. Anyway, uh... She gives him a package, he signs for it, and he's like, Oh, it's been a while since seeing you, Claire. And she's like, Oh man, I've been gone a whole year, I can't believe you remember my name. And he goes, Well, your name's on your shirt. And she's like, Oh, ah, right. <laughs> and that kind of like embarrasses her, and she tells him, Well, alright, here's your package, see you later. And goes to leave, and as she's exiting through the stairwell, well, Michael chases after her, and he stops her and he's like, Hey Claire, um, would you like to go on a date? which is very out-of-the-pocket for him. And, like, when he was in the shrink office, he was talking about wanting to try new things. And so, apparently, the new things would be asking girls on dates. Uh, apparently. Um, <laughs> so Claire, like, surprisingly tells him yes. And then directly after that, we are cut to Stronghold Mother yelling at her about asking him on a date and what she doing trying to get into his life and... He's, like, completely off the rails pissed. And Claire tells him, well, he asked me. It wasn't, it's not like I tried to do that. He asked me. And then another person that's sitting in the same room with Stronghold Mother, like another uh, overseer, tells Mother that, well, this wasn't her decision. She didn't have any other way to act, considering her job was to be the playful delivery person. Acting differently would have thrown suspicion and she tells her, so they're going to go on one date, but that'll be the end of it. And we'll move her on to another assignment. And Stronghold Mother, who's super pissed, is like, fine, but you, your father won't be the only one waiting up for you tonight. And basically begrudgingly lets her go on the, that's the second time I use that word, sends her, sorry, <laughs> sends her on her way to uh, go on the date with Michael. So we cut from there to the, that evening, and of course Claire shows up at Michael's to, to meet him, and Michael's dressed exactly like he was at work, like business suit, tie. She's in a dress and kind of punk rock looking. It's awesome. And she's like, you're not really wearing that, are you? And he's like, uh, well, uh, uh, no, I, um, give me a minute. And so he goes and puts on a sweater. And as they're leaving, she's like, well, at least now I don't look like I'm going out with my principal. Which is kind of funny, but I don't know. It's a, it was a weird comic. She's not that young comparatively, so, eh. Anyhow. Well, the two of them talk for a minute. They decide they're going to go to a club that a friend of Claire's band's playing at. And so Michael tells her, well, I don't have a car, so, you know, I live in the city, so I never had to have a car. And she's like, no, that's fine. We can take the subway. And so they go to the subway, and they're riding the subway, and Claire's typing on her phone, and all of a sudden the power in the subway basically goes off, and uh, the conductor comes over the subway uh, announcer box is like, uh, we've got some problems up ahead, so we're going to be sitting for a couple minutes while they try to fix the track. 
And Claire's like, we can walk from here. And Michael's like, uh, through the subway? She's like, well, everything's turned off, so it won't take that long. There's lots of tunnels under the city. And he's like, um, all right, crazy girl. And so off they go, walking down the subway. As they're walking, like, Michael asks her, well, why do you like me? Like, what did, why did you agree to go out with me at all? And she gives him kind of a veiled answer, and then she asks him the same thing. And he's like, well, you're the only person in my life I feel is honest. You're just you, and nobody else, everyone else seems to be like, they talk to me like they work for me. And she's like, oh, well, that's, uh, maybe I should be honest with you, too. And she leads him into this, like, a, what looks to be an abandoned warehouse at first. And she tells him, well, she has to tell him the truth about herself. And uh, that's where we get the reveal of what Stronghold is, a crazy church, that uh, believes he's like the second coming. But basically, she explains to him that the uh, church believes he is the, like, Messiah. Him not knowing who he is and just living a normal life keeps the balance between good and evil. And apparently, if he realizes who he is, it's going to cause Armageddon. And the other day, when he used his powers in the water, well, that was, like, the first step to realization. And where Claire has taken him is to a abandoned, well, not abandoned, to a warehouse that a whole biker gang uses to sell methamphetamines. And uh, the biker gang's on their way. And she wants to get proof that he really is what they say he is. But she doesn't know if it's real or not. That's far than I was going to go initially. But that's not the end of the book. There's still crazy reveal at the end, and we see some crazy stuff with him and the bike gang. So there's still mysteries. Uh... Anyway, okay, score-wise, I mean, I give him a four and a half, too. Like, I really liked it. Like, I, I do dig Phil Hester in general, so I'm predisposed to like his writing, because I already like other stuff he's written. And, like, there are elements in here that feel kind of like, kind of like Hancock, the movie. Uh, there some other similarities to other things, but nothing that's exactly the same. And this whole deity thing is crazy. Uh, so, yeah, I give it a four and a half. Like, I, it was a good book. I, I don't know if it's, like, ultimately they haven't solicited if it's ongoing or miniseries, so I guess we'll see how it goes. Uh, but, yeah, it was pretty entertaining. And it's, uh, so I guess that's it. Weird, I'm the only one scoring books. Yeah, all right. Uh, so let's see, from there we can move on to uh, Sharky, uh, the Bounty Hunter, which is from Image Comics. And this is uh, Mark Millar and uh, Simon uh, Bauchi or Bauchi? I think is how you say it. A fantastic artist, like uh, super amazing. Done a lot of different work in comics. If you if you've been in books for a minute, you, you'll recognize his art. Uh, this one is uh, also connected to Netflix. I mean, Millar, Mark Millar sold the Millarverse to Netflix for shows and movies, I guess. So it, I've heard rumors this one got a deal last year, but so far we still haven't seen anything. So, and the book just came out, so I guess we'll see. Um, as far as, like, look, the character himself has a very Lobo look to him, uh, which is awesome. So if you're a Lobo fan, then this would definitely fit you. And it, I mean, it's Mark Millar, so it's a little darker. He, the things he's famous for initially, he did Reds on Superman, uh, then Kick-Ass and Kingsman. So uh, chances are you've seen something the guy's done or watched a movie that he's connected to. Anyhow, so this opens up, of course, on a crazy uh, planet, very... I don't know, it's like a, it's kind of like Judge Dredd, 
city looking because like it's not it's really futuristic but it's a downpouring kind of dirty scummy city it looks like and we're joining the bar with uh, a fellow with, that's of purple skin uh, of course this turns out to be Sharky and he's in the process of, of drinking it up and chatting with one of the other guys at the bar as the, the conversation goes eventually uh, we get the idea that Sharky's asking him questions particularly as if he's trying to figure out who the guy is and the guy says something to him, and he turns to him, and he's like, yep, that's why I'm going to arrest you. Uh, you got a huge bounty on your head. And so Sharky pulls a gun on him, and of course the dude's like, that's only if you can catch all of us. And this guy transforms into a whole herd of little versions of him. And uh, Sharky takes to smashing him, gassing him, shooting him. Apparently he only has to catch one, but if one gets away, the others will just, I guess, mentally shift or something. So apparently when this guy splits into a whole group of them, You'd have to kill them all to kill him, or catch them all to catch him. But as long as none of them get away, he doesn't get away. But yeah, eventually he's taken out a whole slew of them, and he winds up chasing one little one into the, one of the one of them into the bath bathroom, and he's in the process of diving into the toilet to escape. Uh, but of course, Sharky uh, manages to catch him, but only after he's gone in the bowl. Uh, <laughs> from there, Sharky uh, winds up taking him and turning him in to collect his bounty. And as he's collecting the bounty, he's informed by the the guy paying out for the bounty that uh, more than 75% of what Sharky's supposed to make is being collected by debtors because he owes money. He doesn't wind up making nearly as much as he was supposed to, but of course the guy puts him onto another hunt. There's another character you can make a lot of money off of, and this is the city they're supposed to, this is where they're supposed to be planet-wise. So Sharky collects the information, then he heads out. Uh, from there, we want to meet the girl that he met in the bar earlier, who's in the process of having herself turned into a jeep. So she's like half robot, half girl. And the next step, I guess, is to have her, her girl parts replaced with truck parts. Because she always wanted to be a truck. Which is super weird. At least I think it's super weird. I mean, Sharky initially is like, oh, all the pretty parts are really pretty, lady. <laughs> um, but in the process of the two of them, you know, having fun time, we have this little green kid that shows up, and he, uh... Well, of course, he knocks on the door, and he's like, Oh, um, so since you arrested my dad, can you take me to my mom? Uh, you kind of owe me that, right? And it turns out this kid is the son of the guy he just arrested. And, uh, Sharky tells the kid, Oh, sure, kid, just meet me here at this time, and I'll, I'll pick you up and drop you off. Yeah, yeah. And the kid's like, Yay! And so he goes home to pack his stuff up. Of course, he's living, like, on the street, so he's got all of his stuff in a tent. Anyhow, so he packs it all up, and he, the kid goes about his way, and Sharky's like, I ain't ever picking that kid up. And he finishes with the girl. The next day, wind up seeing his ship, and it's basically like a space ice cream truck, because he's so in debt, he's had to sell everything that was good, and so now he's driving the bottom-of-the-barrel-type truck, or a spaceship, excuse me, spaceship. Which is really kind of hilarious. Anyway, Sharky takes off, and the kid shows up and is waiting. And eventually, while Sharky's out flying in space, he starts to feel bad about leaving the kid, of course. And that's where our buddy Copping's going to come in. So whenever he's collecting information on the next bounty, we kind of got to see what the next bounty hunter was like and who the next thing he was chasing was. And there's a whole lot of other bounty hunters we meet in the middle that are also after the same prey. And they're the type that would probably try to kill Sharky. So it's, it's definitely going to be one of those, like... Multiple bounty hunters trying to kill each other to get the prize kind of things. And for the first issue, it was really pretty fun. Like, uh, dug it. Super excited for the next issue. 
Uh, Score-wise, I give it a four. I mean, it's going to be a mini-series because of what Mark Millar does. I find it unlikely it goes past six issues, but that's kind of his forte in the world right now. But yeah, as far as like a book, it was really fun. Awesome art. So, super excited for the next issue. Next, we'll move on to uh, Ronin Island. And Ronin Island is from uh, Boom Studios. This is written by Greg Pack. And the artist on it is, uh, I'm going to try to pronounce this, uh, Jonas? And his last name is Mylon Jonas, I think is how you say it. Uh, last name is spelled M-I-L-O-N-O-G-I-A-N-N-I-S. So I'm, I'm sure I probably pronounced that wrong, and I'm sorry about that. Dig the art. I like Greg Pack as a writer. You probably know him from Superman. Um, I feel like he wrote some action, but I can't remember if that's true or not. But I know he wrote a little bit of Superman uh, during New 52. As far as the uh, artist, I, I'm not sure if I've seen his stuff before or not, but I like it. It's pretty It's pretty cool. It's a fun book. We, we open up and we see this, the backdrop of the house, and uh, we have a catch line that tells us that it's supposed to be 31 years after the Great Wind. Uh, and that we're on an island uh, located at, on the coast of uh, Kai, Kaishu? Kaishua? I, yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, anyway, we've got a younger boy who's getting ready to leave. He's on his way to uh, his his graduation ceremony is what, what it seems like. And his mother's like, no, no, you're not ready yet. He's like, well, I'm going to have to go. I'm going to be late. She's like, no, no, take your father's armor. And so she has two of these guys carry out this full-on suit of, like, Japanese, like, awesome armor. And she's like, your, your father would want you to wear it. If you're going to be the leader of our people, they need to see you as the true samurai you. And, like, that's really kind of awesome. So he's super happy that she gave it to him. And then we get a kind of a cool shot to show us the island. And like from aerial, like an aerial, aerial view of it. Man, that was hard to say. And we join another character who's in the process of cooking some fish. And it's a girl, and she's dressed a lot more humble. Um, and she's got a cat with her, and the cat wants her to feed, her, feed him the fish. And so she plays with the cat for a minute, and then winds up giving the fish, like the whole fish to the cat. And uh, she's met by her mentor, who's an older... Uh, like farmer type guy and he's like yeah you have to get to do your ceremony she's like ah, I don't think I'm going to go he's like really you're going to let the rich kid take all the take all the glory and she's like fine so both of them wind up meeting for this race and apparently when you you make your next step forward graduation wise or whatever on this island there's a commemorative race between all the whoever is competing and whoever it ends winds up finishing as the class like the class number one student or the class lead and so uh, we're there with the two of them, and he's dressed in all of his samurai armor, and she's dressed just like she was when she was playing with the cat, like sort of dirty, hem-stitched clothes. And, uh, of course, he, he's like, can't you ever take anything seriously? She's like, meh, I don't need to wear a silly suit. And uh, the two of them take off to do their race. And through the race, they both, you know, sort of cheap-shot each other a little bit here and there, and both accuse each other of cheating, and... They're pretty evenly matched throughout the whole thing. Well, eventually, in the, in the race through the city, it leads to a batch of boats, and they have to take the boat out and around a harbor, like a, out and around a, a buoy, and back. And while they're doing that, there's this group of other farmers out cheering for her, and the kid in the samurai suit's like, you have fans? How'd you get fans? She's like, I don't know who those people are. And then one of the farmers must have heard her, because he's like, we know who you are. You're just like us. You're a prim of the land. And, like, she's kind of surprised by it. 
anyhow, by the time we get to the end of the race, the two of them are neck and neck, and they run up this hill, and there's a like a bell you have to hit, and they both tie. And out comes Elder, and Elder's like, well, it's the first time that's ever happened. And then that's interrupted by a giant ship showing up, carrying a huge crest, like, on the flag. And both the the trainer and the uh, old farmer look at each other, and, like, that looks like the Shogun symbol. But the Shogun's been dead for 30 years. So whatever this great wind was, I guess, wiped out most of the surrounding islands and killed off the shogun that was supposed to be in charge of their island. And now here's this giant ship that's set up basically like a warship showing up on their front door. So we fast forward a little bit and we wind up having a boat sent from the ship and on the boat is this samurai looking dude who comes in and he tells them that, he tells them that he's General Sato and he's there to collect for the shogun. And of course they're all apprehensive because there's been no shogun now for 30 years so how does that make any sense? He informs them there's a new type of villain, or new type of problem, that they're going to need protection from. And if they want to get protection, then they would have to align with the new Shogun. Of course, that doesn't make the uh, young boy who just finished the race very happy, because he's supposed to be the leader of his people after graduating. He's supposed to take over as the leader of the village. From there, both the old farmer and the, uh, the village head tell them that they need to get all the villagers into the hidden bunkers, because they see, they see something else coming. And, uh... When we get a view of what it is, it basically looks like zombie monster samurai crazy teeth gnashing monsters just rolling. It's almost like the umbrella virus from Resident Evil somehow infected mainland China and Japan, and these are the results. It's crazy. Um, and then, of course, it leads the village to pick up their arms to fight. And that's kind of where the first issue wraps. So the book itself is going to be, like, following these two from parallel opposite parts of what their island is. Her from the farmer community and the work with the land-type people and him from the aristocratian, trained a certain way to behave, blah, 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 blah. And as far as the story's concerned, it's going to build those two together to deal with this crazy invading monster faction. So, uh, yeah, I know, pretty fun book. I mean, the whole race thing is really, is really neat. As far as the score, I mean, I give it a three. Cover's awesome. Uh, they do have an A and B cover. This is the A cover, so I didn't see the B cover, except for in a small picture, so I'm not really sure what that looked like, but I dig it. Um, it's fun when she's playing with the cat. The cat's silly and, like, cute. So, yeah, I don't know, fun book. If you dig Slice of Lifey with monsters on top, I'm going to say awesome. Yes, that's it, I guess. It's a little more brief on that one than some of the other ones, I guess. I don't know. The story moves pretty quick. I mean, a lot of it's the race, and so it's awesome to look at but not a lot of words that you can say about it, really, I guess. It sounds like a terrible description. That's what you get. All right, so last book for the day, or for the episode, episode, uh, will be The Terrifics, number 11. This is from DC Comics. This issue is uh, written by Jeff Lemire, and the uh, artist on it is Victor Bogdanovich, fantastic artist. If you haven't experienced The Terrifics, the Trivics are, are mostly a band of Phantom Girl, Plastic Man, Metamorpho, and a Mr. Terrific. We've been, we've got the series going on for a minute. This particular issue picks back to a, an end of a story arc, so we're starting a, a brand new chase in the book. Um, what opens up has got Mr. Terrific. He's in there doing work on a, uh, one of his T-spheres. We do find out in the first couple pages that the reason he's building this particular T-sphere is to be able to jump between realities, like different worlds. 
different versions of Earth. Because in the previous batch of stories, we wound up having one of his team spheres that does that exact same thing stolen. And uh, the man that stole it is now jumping through realities, causing problems. And uh, Mr. Trevick's got to catch him in order to stop him before he causes real damage. And that's basically where things pick up. Uh, we want to find out that the group's kind of gone their separate ways after the last battle. Um, Phantom Girl's gone back to her home planet. Metamorpho has been healed. He's back to being a normal human. And Mr. Tri or and uh, Mr. or Plastic Man, excuse me, Plastic Man has gone to reconnect with his family. Um, that's actually who he joined next, is Plastic Man. And he's never really been good about, you know, showing up places without being kind of weird. Uh, but for his family, he hasn't seen them in quite a few years, because before this, after Metal, he was trapped as an egg shape, so basically like in a living coma. And then when he was in the Dark Dimension, it took a while for him, them to, for the Trivics to find him and bring him out. So when he rejoins with his wife, um, she's not the happiest to see him, because this isn't the first time he's flaked out as a dude. And he hasn't been taking care of child support, and her, she has no idea why. So he tries to explain to her, yeah, I was trapped in the Dark Dimension and basically in a coma. And she's like, you always have some type of excuse. Eel, which is his, his name. And uh, he's like, well, don't you remember the good times? There, there, there were good times. And she's like, yeah, there were some. There just wasn't enough. And from there, we wind up meeting his son, Luke. And Luke, at this point, is like in high school age. And the last time Eel saw him, he was very small. So they don't say the age, but like toddler age. And Luke is super pissed and not happy with his dad at all. And it turns out that Luke has basically the same abilities as Plastic Man, from what we can tell, because he's able to stretch his body and reshape it, and he basically does that to whoop his dad to throw him out in the hallway. He tells him to get lost and never come back. And he's super pissed at him because there was, he was never there to help him, never there to raise him, never there to teach him, and he has these crazy powers. So not a very good homecoming for the uh, Plastic Man. And then from there, we jump to Planet Bugzit. I don't know how you're supposed to say it. it it's literally spelled B-G-Z-T-L. So yeah, I'm sure there's a way to say it, but I couldn't tell you what that is. And this is uh, Phantom Girl's home planet. And uh, we're in the middle of like a giant royal party. Um, which, if you didn't know, she's like a princess there. And uh, there's this lady with these crazy earmuffs. And then a giant, like, crazy hat. All like fancy royalty style and she's in the process of talking to the crowd and telling them how they're so happy to welcome home their princess and calls for the introduction of her and then of course she doesn't come out which makes mom super pissed and so she goes in the room and finds the daughter sitting there with an equally silly princess outfit lots of puff balls on it and uh she doesn't want to come out because she doesn't like the outfit and she's not real happy with having to be paraded around in front of her one. And her mother tells her, this is your duty. This is what you're supposed to do for the family. Now that you're back home, finally, you, we have to move forward with the reality. This is what your life is going to be. And you're done being a superhero and playing around with your friends, blah, 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 blah. And uh, her last sentence to her tells her that the whole reason they're having this particular gathering is to find her husband. Because that's how royal life works. So... She's also not very happy with her homecoming. Uh, from there, we cut to Metamorpho, who's in the process of going through a job interview. 
or job placement, not an interview. He's at a temp service trying to find out what he can do. And the lady asked him a bunch of questions about his typing and like normal job things. He's like, yep, none of that. Because he has no experience in it. And she asked him what he does have experience in. He's like, well, um, mostly I did uh, tomb raiding and truck driving, mountain climbing, piloting, mostly planes, and like all this crazy science stuff that his fiance's father used to force him to do, but he's never had any regular job experience. He's had adventure experience. And of course, the lady at the temp agency is like, did you say tomb raiding? And we cut from there to him coming home. And of course, uh, the girlfriend super happy to see him. The dog's happy to see him. But he's not very happy at all. And while they're talking, she's like, you do know daddy hasn't cut me off yet. And understand the system for Metamorpho, like his girlfriend, her father is the president of Stag, which is the rival company to Mr. Triffick's company, that at the very beginning of the book ripped the whole way in the Dark Dimension by using technology that they had acquired, questionably, from Mr. Triffick's company. So, like, he's part of the whole problem that Metamorpho has had the entire time he's existed. And he doesn't want to be underneath her father's boot, living off his money, and so he, he's also having a hard time adjusting to this normal life. Uh, from there, we fast forward back to Mr. Terrific, who's finally figured out where uh, where the, the fellow he's chasing is at. And it turns out he's on Earth-23. Now, Earth-23, if you don't know, is like the all-black Earth. So we have a President Superman who, depending who draws him, looks suspiciously like Barack Obama. And in this particular reality... Mr. Terrific didn't become Mr. Terrific. His wife did. And in our world, his wife is dead. So it's a weird place for him to be because the woman he was in love with his whole like life prior to him being Mr. Terrific is still here, except here she's him. Anyhow, uh, from there, we, uh, we wind up running into uh, the baddie. And he turns out he's been going through realities, wiping out Mr. Terrific's planning to eventually come back and kill the last one. So his whole plan, the whole reason he's been jumping through these realities is he's been wiping out Mr. Terrific's as he went, killing off all the other versions of him that he could find. And uh, he's built himself a team, which seems to be very reminiscent of our current Terrific's team. So, uh, yeah, that's where the cliffhanger ends. Like, what do you do next? Dun-dun-dun! Uh, kind of awesome. And that's basically where we wind up believing it. So... Like, issue-wise, it's been really... The series has been really fun. And, like, is a good writer. Bogdanovich is a great artist. Like, the book's awesome to, to read. It's fun. The characters are, are... Even though they're kind of unknown characters, I mean, really, Phantom Girl doesn't have a whole lot of play. Classic Man's been around a long time. I mean, all these characters have been around for a fair minute, but they're not your A-listers by any means. And, like, this book is awesome. Uh, the current Fantastic Four over Marvel's really good, too. But, like... This thing started before that thing did, and it's like a fun Fantastic Four, which is a terrible way to describe it, I guess, but that's basically what it is. Uh, anyhow, super happy with the book still. It's, it's fun, good read. Uh, Score-wise, I give it three and a half. Uh, it's entertaining. I think the next issue is going to be more like Pulse Pounding, only because we have this evil version of everyone, and uh, I assume the next issue they'll, they'll face off. So, yeah, look for issue 12 if you want just battle stuff, because it should be great. Uh, well, I think that was the last book I had for the uh, for this episode. 
Uh, normally we do a what'd you learn little segment. So what I learned today, that doing these episodes by myself isn't that fun. That's what I learned. Not that I didn't know that, but hey, you know, it is what it is. Uh, as far as books to watch, uh, well, Images got a whole bunch of stuff coming out, like always. Uh, they got a new book coming out called Little Bird. I'm pretty excited for that. Um, See, so we just had the new Black Widow and Daredevil start over at Marvel. And both those, the first two issues, are really good. Uh, so watch out for those guys. Uh, as far as series are concerned, still loving Black Science. Uh, Deadly Class is still awesome. Uh, actually, it just had a show start, so Sci-Fi Network runs it Wednesday nights. And it's it's been great. Like I've been pretty happy with it. What little bit I got to see of it has been great. I want to say maybe we're... We're either four or five episodes deep now, but it's awesome. So I definitely say worth a watch. Rick Remender's great writer. And I guess he's also helping write the show, so that's awesome. Uh, the Champions has been really good over at Marvel. Um, dug that. Uh, current Batman, the Flash crossover just ended, and it was really cool. Doomsday Clock's doing good still. It doesn't come out as fast as I like, but it's been good story-wise. I guess that's, that's I guess that's it. I mean, there's other books, but I'm gonna cut it. Call it, call it good. Um, so yeah, uh, thanks for listening. I guess follow us on social media. Um, if you don't follow it already, on don't follow us already. Like, say you listen to us on iTunes or Spotify or uh, Radio Public. Do me a favor, come over to Podomatic and just subscribe. Yeah, you have to use an email or Facebook to do it. There's an option there to tell not to see any notices. You don't have to get an email. And that's it. You don't have to do anything else. It'd be great if we got a few more followers on that, just number-wise. Um, yeah, I think that's it. So, uh, have a great week. Gather yeah, see Captain Marvel. If you haven't watched Umbrella Academy, get on that. Because it's awesome. <laughs> like, the, visually so good. Pogo, the monkey guy... Planet of the Apes, good man, like awesome. All right, that's it. Tiki, Tiki.